0: Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles: The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. Uh, first, I'd like to thank everybody who uh, submitted or offered their feedback on episode 31, uh, my chat with Mike Dalhusen. Uh, the uh, amazing thing about that would be uh, it's the first time I believe I have, uh, or the show has charted in Slovakia. So, uh, going really international now. I know that uh, I'm usually, uh, you know, on the charts higher low well not never too high in uh the u.s and canada um you know i chart but uh you know i'm realistic uh and norway usually uh, i chart there too so that's always fun thank you to norway and uh but for the first time uh, i charted in uh, in slovakia so so welcome to uh any new listeners from slovakia or around the world thanks for tuning in uh, I thought Mike was a great guest, definitely different than uh, any kind of interview I had done before, and uh, maybe uh, in the future, because I don't know uh, many guys who have uh, a similar journey as uh, the one Mike had, so um, so thank you to everybody who listened, thank you to everybody who uh, gave me some feedback. Uh, just going forward, I'm a little sniffly here today, I don't know why, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, the minute I sneeze one time, I'm good for, uh, I'm good for some sniffles. Uh, for the rest of the day. So uh, if I sound like Joe Pepitone here, I apologize. And if you're old enough, you'll get that reference. But uh, this is episode 32. I'm very excited to bring this episode to you. Uh, Just a few things before uh, we get rolling here. Um, No matter what platform you're listening to the show on, if you could please uh, subscribe, like the show, rate the show, review the show. Uh, It definitely helps uh, bring the show to a wider audience. I think it helps... uh, in in searches like if people search for uh, hockey podcasts I think the more likes and reviews and stuff like that that it gets I think it uh, becomes more prominent and uh, it helps grow the show so if you take a second and do any of those for me I'd appreciate it if you're on Twitter my Twitter handle is at Joe underscore lazito, and the Twitter handle for the show is at Kali Sinbin pod so uh, if you don't mind go to each of those give it a follow and uh, I'll follow you back Uh, you know Definitely nothing too serious on uh, on either one. On the show, uh, Twitter, it's basically all Islander stuff. On my Twitter, it's mostly sports stuff, and every now and then I take a jab or two at politicians. But, um, you know, nothing too serious. There's uh, millions of other social media accounts for uh, that kind of nonsense. But definitely check me out on Twitter and uh, give me a follow. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. That's all Islander stuff, Islander Enforcer stuff, stuff related to the show. Um, Pictures, birthdays, things like that. Again, there's a lot of crap on Facebook. And uh, if you're listening to the show, then I would imagine you'd enjoy uh, my Facebook page for the show also. So go there and give it a like. Uh, Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. Similar to the Facebook uh, page there. Uh, again, everything that has to do with the show. Every now and then, uh, I'll post something that's not related to the show. But 99% of the time, it's it's all show related. It's all Islander Enforcer related, hockey fight related. So uh, definitely go there, give it a follow, and uh, I'll follow you back for sure. Uh, merchandise. Merchandise is available. Uh, I love the merchandise. I actually. With the weather uh, changing here on Long Island, I just ordered some hoodies for myself and the family. Uh, you can order your hoodies if you don't like the hoodie type sweatshirt. we got regular sweatshirts, uh, still have t-shirts, still have tank tops, depending on where you're listening, uh, Leggings, onesies, socks, phone cases, mugs, masks. Uh, run the gamut of, of uh, Coliseum Chronicles merchandise, and you can order up at teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen merch. And as I say in every episode, you don't have to remember that. Scroll to the bottom of the uh, episode description on the platform you're listening to, and there will be a link that brings you right to the merchandise page. You can order right from there. And when you do that, you'll see my awesome logo. I am a modest person, but if someone does something that I think is amazing, especially if since it's not me, I don't mind touting them, and uh, I love my logo and the logo was done by local Long Island artist Joe Marisich You can reach Joe on Twitter at GraphicsJoker Joker or at loudegg.com. One of the bad things about the hockey season coming to an end is uh, not scrolling through my Twitter timeline and seeing uh, Joe's Joe's Islander cartoons. Uh, you know, I gotta wait, I guess until the season starts up again. And uh, he's also a Jets fan, so and they really suck. So I can't imagine he's going to be inspired to do any Jet art. I doubt there'll be an Adam Gase picture on there. But, uh, you know, I don't even know. The Mets, I don't think they made the playoffs. So, yeah, so he may be dormant for a while. Maybe, uh, maybe this is the best time to get him and uh, have him do some work for you because he's very talented. Uh, definitely, like I said, Joe Maricich at GraphicsJoker, also at loudegg.com. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA is Long Island's premier mixed martial arts gym. Open seven days a week now. The Emperor Cuomo, um, you know, he's allowing Jim. He's uh, he's nice enough to uh, rule over us all, and uh, he's allowed gyms to open again. Uh, at Belmore Kickboxing and MMA, they have men's classes, wi- women's classes, kids classes. Uh, you could do private training sessions, and it's not just uh, it's not just. Uh, a gym where UFC fighters and professional fighters train. Uh, anyone can train there. Uh, when you're there, you might run into a UFC fighter like John Volante, Gregor Gillespie, uh, Professional Fighters League uh, former champion, I believe. Andre Harrison trains there. Uh, you might run into you know, legendary pro boxer Chris Algieri, or one of the best boxers on the planet right now, Adam Kalnatsky. They all train there. Uh, what you're going to run into there, though, are like minded people like yourself who just want to get in shape and have fun doing it. It's a really laid back atmosphere. And, um, you know, I love it there. So uh, I would definitely give them a call, 516 679 5997. They're located at 2551 Merrick Road in Belmore. Their website is belmorekickboxingmma.com. So if you contact them, ask for Keith Trimble. Uh, Keith and I uh, have a deal here going where if you mention the show, if you mention that you heard this on the show, you can get one free class. And it doesn't have to be a class for you. If uh, you have kids and you want them to take a kid's class, uh, you could take a class yourself. Your significant other can take a class. As long as you mention that you heard it on the show, just let Keith know and uh, you guys can arrange for a free class and then decide, uh, decide what you want to do from there. But... As I've said before, if you take a class there, you go in there, it's a great environment. I'm pretty sure that once you are in there, you are definitely going to want to join. So definitely contact Keith and, uh, you know, see what they have to offer you. So Belmore Kickboxing and MMA, train where the champions train. So if you like this show, you're either an Islander fan, a fight fan, or both. And uh, if you like the fights and you like hockey fights, chances are that uh, you don't like, uh, you're not an analytics nerd if you're listening to this. But um, if you like fights and you like fighting podcasts, please check out the 4th Line Voice podcast that is uh, run by my friend Darren. I believe he is the OG of the fight podcast uh, industry. I think he was the first. Um, He has a great show over there. He's on the Hockey Podcast Network. His latest episode he has is with Jordan Roach. And Darren, Darren has said this in the past, just because you don't you may not recognize the name of the guest, it doesn't mean you won't recognize guys that are spoken about in the episode. And uh I know Jordan wrote, I don't know him personally, but I'm familiar with his resume. Uh but if you're not, you will definitely hear names that you're familiar with in the episode. It was a great episode. Jordan has some really good stories, so much so that my voice just cracked. Um Really, really good stories. Definitely worth a listen to. Um, and I don't know uh, who Darren is going to have next. Uh, I believe today, which is Sunday, or tomorrow, he releases the classic episode. Um, he used to have uh, his own website where he uh, he did his episodes and then it crashed. So he, the uh, Hockey Podcast Network picked him up. And each week he does a new episode and a classic episode. And I think today or tomorrow is the classic episode. So... Uh, if you haven't listened to any of the episodes, definitely check it out. Really, really great stuff. Uh, very in-depth. Definitely uh, give it a listen. Also, uh, he has a YouTube channel, Fourth Line Voice, on YouTube. Uh, you know, you've heard me say it before. If you've watched the hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it's on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. And if you follow him on Twitter, and if you don't follow him, definitely give him a follow now. He does these tournaments similar. I'm going to say similar to the Islander tournament that I did a few months ago, but he's been doing these things for years. So I guess my tournament is similar to his tournament. Um, and, uh, this is the minor league mayhem tournament where it's, uh, I think 64 guys. Uh, I think it's 64. makes sense. Uh, guys who, um, have really didn't spend too much time in the NHL or, are known more for their work in the minors. And, um, it's a tournament, he always gets a lot of clicks Always gets a lot of votes And uh, I look forward to it every year So uh, he just started it yesterday So there's plenty of time left uh, To get in and vote in the different rounds uh, It's a lot of fun, check it out uh, The Five for Fighting podcast Hosted by Alec Olin-Salem Alec hasn't put out an episode uh, In a few weeks, I think he's really busy I think he might be buying a house Or something like that uh, The last episode that he, that he did Was with uh, former uh, GM of the Danbury trashers AJ Galante, uh, I believe he was going to do a Q&A episode But like I said, I think he's I think he's hung up lately with uh, buying a house or something with moving uh, Which obviously we've all done that before I've never had the uh, opportunity to buy a house yet So if that's what he's doing, I know there's a lot of uh, stuff that ties that up But just moving in general is a pain in the ass So it's one of those reasons uh, why he hasn't put out a new episode, but I'd expect one soon So um, if you're interested in uh, what he has to offer and you don't want to wait for a new episode, I would definitely check out the archives. There's some really good stuff on there. And um, if you're on Facebook, definitely check out his uh, enforcer appreciation page on Facebook. Uh, I was going to say arguably, but I don't even think at any point it's arguable. It has to be the number one hockey fight page on, uh, on the platform. So definitely check that out. Uh, And then as usual, I will promote the bucket drop podcast uh, with my friend, Bobby Longgrass, who, Uh, Is taking a hiatus for the rest of 2020 Uh, He finished his season one with I believe 50 episodes He's going to start back up in 2021 So I would definitely check out his archives Uh, I always say check out his Twitter At at the bucket drop because Bobby is selling hats And the profits go to help child abuse survivors And I think it's his pinned tweet So uh, give that a look and uh, you can do some good and uh, like I said, please continue to send him Mark Bergevin pictures. Um, Bobby's a big Mark Bergevin fan. Borderlines on creepy and stalkerish. But uh, just find a picture of Bergevin and send it to him. You don't have, even have to write anything. Just find it. I know he's a big fan of the pipes. Uh, Berge, is, uh, he's hitting the weights hard. So uh, anything where kind you kind of see his arms and stuff, definitely just, uh, just tag Bobby in those pictures. He can't get enough of those. So, uh, so definitely check that out. So uh, there's a few things to to discuss as far as the Islanders go in hockey. Um, there's really no news right now on the uh, restricted free agents and the unrestricted free agents. I think I just read something that they're discussing an extension with uh, Broussard. So uh, I think that was the first one. I know I read something about Grice where maybe they've been speaking to him, but who knows what those talks are about because obviously uh, they're going to have the Russian combo next year. I, I don't see... Uh, unless they blow Grice away with an offer, and I don't know how they could, why Grice would even consider coming back because he would definitely be the third goalie. And uh, I don't think he wants to play in Bridgeport and he can definitely play somewhere in the NHL. But uh, Grice and Broussard are the only two names I've heard so far. Um, obviously, you know, people are going to talk about Barzell and uh, offer sheets, but, you know, I, I was saying to my wife the other day, it, it I guess with social media, people can't help themselves. But you know, they're used every time someone someone came up, a restricted free agent comes up with an offer sheet. You know, there's always the usual chatter, but it's so few and far between where guys are even offered offer sheets. So I I don't know if anything is going to happen with that. Um, I I wouldn't think so, but I guess it's something to do during the off season. Uh, And of course, no news uh, on the Matt uh, Matt Martin watch. Uh, everything is status quo still he's a free agent and uh, I haven't heard anything about any talks going on so uh, Nothing new to report there, but uh, if I hear anything, I will definitely keep you posted If you listened last week First of all, if you listen last week, I apologize. I know there was some audio issues in my intro and my outro thankfully no issues with the interview which really is the most important part, but I think I have those remedied. I guess we'll find out once I upload this episode. But um, So if you, if you did listen last week, you heard me talking about how the Quebec government was basically holding the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League hostage. Uh, the Quebec League went to the government and asked them for $20 million to help them offset the costs of operating without fans and I, I guess everything else, um, ticket sales, merchandise sales, whatever it was, and um, being that it is, is the Quebec government, and I, the emphasis should not have been on Quebec there. It should have been on government. Uh, God forbid the government of anywhere could do something for their citizens or for some businesses there without wanting something in return. It's always a game. It's always a scam. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, I think her name is Isabelle Charest, uh, said, sure, we'll give you the money, but we want you to do something about fighting because obviously fighting is a big problem in the league when the, the league leaders had seven in a league where there was, um, I don't were they 10 fights last year, 10 fights or five fights. I don't remember which one it was, but, um, it's obviously not, uh, fighting is not what it used to be. And I know, I know there's people out there that will say one fight is one too many. Dry your eyes. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but, you know, God forbid that the government could say to the Quebec League, which, I mean, if, if you really do your research, the Quebec League has a real rich history uh, in, in Canadian junior hockey. You can look at uh, look up some of the great names that have come through that league. Uh, you know, Guy LaFleur, Mario Lemieux, Pat LaFontaine, uh, you know, Crosby. I mean, it, I, I'm really doing it a disservice by naming anybody. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's a... It's one of the premier junior hockey leagues up there. And you would think that, you know, the government would like to help the league out. I mean, it's a, it's a pipeline to the NHL. And, uh, but, of course, it's the government, so they need to have something in return. And basically, they extorted the league. And uh, so they said, uh, we'll give you the money, but we now want you to have a three-fight rule. So anyone that has three majors fighting majors in the season, any fighting majors above that I think there's fines and there's definitely suspensions involved uh, and now uh fights will be 15 minutes and um, I know the three fight rule passed I I I have to double check to see if the 15 minute thing passed which I think it might have but I i'm unfortunately unprepared for this um, I forgot to verify that but the first time they uh they voted the governors in the league voted it did not pass um and then the word was that i don't think uh, the governors fully understood that the only way they were going to get this money is if it passed so i mean i guess i give the government credit for not being sneaky about it uh they they're basically telling you if you want this financial help then you're going to bow to us and do what we say and uh, they did a revote and of course this time it passed so um I would like to congratulate Isabelle Charest on being the new commissioner of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League um, Nobody at all was clamoring For a Quebec to lower their uh, fight rules But uh, you know Some people they just can't get enough But uh, you know as Darren at the fourth line voice is fond of saying It's the vocal minority That seems to uh, change a lot of things in this world right now And it's actually it's actually a shame So um, You know, congratulations on uh, Commissioner Charest on your new position. I hope that you can uh, maintain your government-appointed position and run the Quebec League at the same time. Uh, You're a horrible human being, but you are a typical politician, so, you know, your true colors are there. I saw you basically patting yourself on the back on Twitter. You really shouldn't be. You're a disgusting human being, so, uh, so I hope you're happy with yourself. Uh, And I'd like at this point to really give kudos to the Western Hockey League for uh, keeping everything, you know, keeping the game as real as possible. Uh, David Branch, the guy who runs the OHL, uh, he's been a disgrace for a long time with their three-fight rule, and he's just been a really, really sad, sad guy. I mean, I know there are going to be people that disagree with me, but, you know, I, I think he's horrible. Um, but the Western league, they, they haven't bowed to anybody. Uh, they continue business as usual. Uh, and it's funny because it, in any league right now, fighting is so down that, um, you know, no one needs to tell any of these leagues to curb their fighting because it's not an issue in any league. So, you know, but the Western league is smart enough. They see, um, you know, the route, the NHL is going and, and the AHL and, the uh, ECHL all the the lower minor leagues so the the WHL is not producing um, enforcers like they used to it's pretty much they're they're a junior version of the NHL teams and nobody needed to force their bullshit on them they were actually smart enough to handle it themselves so uh, I'd like to tip my cap to the Western Hockey League uh, for not taking anyone's shit not uh, kowtowing to anyone and just running your business the way you want to so uh, bravo to the Western Hockey League um along the same lines we'll stick with sports um recently on my social media platforms i did post a massive massive list of uh game use sticks that uh, i'm interested in acquiring um way back when uh during my tape trading days i would i would trade with a lot of the players i had over 600 enforcer sticks um i had a bunch of jerseys a bunch of gloves a bunch of helmets and um uh, no, uh, real life gotten away a bunch of times. Uh, there was one time where my wife was in a car accident. Uh, she was fine, you know, like as far physically, she was fine. I mean, obviously she was a little traumatized, but the car was totaled. Someone T-boned her and, um, car was totaled and we didn't have, uh, we didn't have money to get a new car. So that's really when everything, the liquidation really first started and, um, had to get rid of a lot of stuff cause we needed a car. And then, Over the years, when, when again, real life has stepped in, I've had to uh, sell some stuff, and it just... I hated to do it. And, um, you know, now that, uh, you know, I don't know if it's doing the show or whatever, but, you know, I'm kind of re-energized for the sport. Not necessarily the current incarnation of it, but just, you know, the sport in general. And I'm really trying to build my collection back up uh i'll never have the numbers that i used to have and really i'm just focusing primarily on the islanders and guys who played for them guys that played in the minors uh in any of the affiliates or guys that spent training camps here like basically anyone that has any tie to this team uh i'd like to get something from and and sticks seem to be the easiest thing so if you have anything that you're looking to get rid of uh, please check out uh, my social media feed and you'll see a massive list of guys and hopefully we can work something out uh, and it, just, it doesn't have to just be sticks if you have gloves or helmets or anything like that that you're looking to trade or, or sell, you know, please consider uh, reaching out and uh, hopefully we can work something out. Um, a couple other things. Uh, I did a podcast recently. Uh, I think I recorded it like a month ago for um, a show that was about Uh, the role of police in society and what exactly their duty is. So um, I believe how it went was uh, the host was discussing this with, with, I guess her colleagues or whatever. And someone had sent them the uh, cracked video that uh, the animated video that they had done about my situation that probably has about 10 million views right now. And, and I think they basically went down that rabbit hole. They reached out to me and, um, The episode was not just about me I would say I was a a primary focus of the episode but there was plenty more in there I would definitely give it a listen Um, it's you can access it on all my social media the the the, uh, link is there you could definitely uh, listen to it Uh, but the cool thing is they um, if if you've listened to my story about what happened on the subway almost 10 years ago there's a name that I bring up constantly and that name is Alfred Douglas and, uh, you know, as I've said, people have called me a hero for the past 10 years. I'm not entirely comfortable with that, although I understand why they're doing that and I'm grateful for it. Uh, but Alfred is a name that I always try to bring to the forefront because Alfred is my hero. Um, Alfred is the man who saved my life that day. While I was sitting there bleeding out, bleeding to death and the cops were just watching, doing nothing, um, Alfred was the one who came up and, and did his best to help me. Um, first by just placing his hand over my deepest wound. Just, he didn't know me. He doesn't know I got AIDS or anything like that. He didn't give a shit. He just did what he thought was right. And then, um, moments later, a woman came up and gave him some napkins and he did that too. And I would imagine with the amount of blood I was losing, the napkins were probably saturated within 10 seconds if, if it even took that long. But, um, anyway, the, um, the people behind the podcast, they were able to track Alfred down and, um, I haven't spoken to Alfred in almost 10 years, so it was good to hear his voice again. And um, for those of you who have heard the story and heard me tell the story, he's only on there for a couple of minutes, but he basically gives his view of, of what happened that day. And um, maybe for those of you who don't necessarily uh, believe me, who think I'm exaggerating, um, you know, here's an eyewitness account of someone who was on the train so, you know, for me, it was I didn't know that they had reached out to him. So when I was listening to it and then at the end of the episode, when they mentioned him and they said that they interviewed him, I was I got goosebumps because I had no idea they were going to get him. And, um, you know, to hear him describe the episode from a different perspective, describe the incident from a different perspective was uh, was pretty interesting for me. And and as I said, you know, it, it, anytime you've heard anyone discuss the story, it's always been my voice. The police, of course, are never going to uh, to discuss it because, you know, well, first of all, they'd be full of shit uh, for what their their company line is uh, about the incident. But um, like I said, it's always me. And if you want to hear a little different perspective from someone who was there and, watched, and saw it with his own eyes, um, that's not me. Uh, definitely give that a listen. Check it out. Like I said, it's on all my social media. You just have to click on the link. Uh, the whole episode is actually pretty interesting, but if you're not interested in the whole episode um, I'm in the beginning. I mean they, they talk about me throughout uh, Here and there but the majority of my interview is in the beginning and Alfred I believe comes in around the 39-minute mark So uh, I would listen to the whole thing But if you can't I mean I'll, actually to me the most important part of the episode is not even me It's it's Alfred. So uh, if you're interested, uh, please check that out uh, finally can't go any can't do this without mentioning that uh, a certain president tested positive for covid and um, wow social media kind of lit up (laughs) everyone had their opinions on this and um, listen i i've been criticized by people for being Uh, pretty hard-handed when it comes to crime and punishment and discipline and the penalties that I think are deserved when people commit crimes and some people have gone as far to call me barbaric but um, as far as this disease as far as COVID goes uh, you know I'll be honest with you if uh, Maxim Gelman got COVID I'd be happy A 100% I'd be happy and uh, I make no bones about that, and I will never deny it. I'd probably do a jig if I found out he had uh, COVID. Um, if Terrence Howell or Tamara Taylor got COVID, um, I don't think I'd have a problem with that. When um, people are, are within feet of you, ready to watch you die, kind of does something to your, to your sympathy for those people. And uh, again, I'm not going to deny that if any of those three individuals were to come down with this, I don't think I'd have a problem with that. You know, there would be a part of me, not not Gelman, I don't give a fuck about him, but for the other two, you know, if they have families, yeah, I, I, would, uh, I would feel bad for their families, but you know, before you think that um, I'm an asshole, like I said, imagine bleeding out and have people there that could help you and they choose not to, instead they just stand back and watch. And uh, that's how I feel. And I've had people over the years who have done some pretty shitty things to me. And, uh, you know, those are the people that I wish I could maybe get five minutes alone in a room without windows um, to handle things and maybe even the score. But even those people, I I don't think I would wish uh, COVID on, you know. Anyone outside of those three people, like even, even Margaret Chan, the judge that fucked me over, uh, I, I don't think I could, I think if I found out she had that, I don't, That that's nothing I could be happy about, you know, as much as she really fucked me big time. I couldn't be happy about her getting that. But so outside of those three, I, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. And um, so there were a significant portion of people on social media. And thankfully, like I said, I don't get a lot of political stuff on mine, but thank God for the uh, the mute button and the uh, muted words button on Twitter. Um, but you know, every now and then some sneak through and, um, it's not for me to say whether you should or shouldn't be happy that, uh, the president has COVID that's for you to decide and for you to live with. Um, I just want to make sure, cause I saw a lot of people that I don't think understand the, the concept of karma. Uh, and I'm hoping to help you out with that. And again, I, I might be wrong. Um, I saw a lot of people say that, Uh, President Trump getting COVID was karma. And their reasonings, if their reasons were true, would suggest karma, as I understand it to be. And if they left it at that, that would have made sense. But there were some people that suggested that Donald Trump uh, contracted COVID as a form of karma but then they went on to hope that he died. Now, if you went the, the next step in hoping that he died, I don't think you quite grasp karma. Because if you're making a statement about karma coming home to roost on someone, in other words, if you think he got COVID as karma for what he's done and what he said and his actions, whatever, if you think that, okay. But then going that next step and hoping that he dies, aren't you basically putting it out there that you're, you want someone to die. So shouldn't you be worried about karma coming back to you? I I think that's how karma works. So I'm not sure, but um, you know, I saw plenty of that too. So, um, you know, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, You know, I don't care if you like the guy, you don't like the guy personally. I think he's a nut job. I I'm sure he's a bad guy. I'm sure that Biden is a bad guy and Bush and Clinton and um, Obama, I think to reach a certain level of politics I think you have to be a bad guy even if your public persona is one of an Angelic face or someone who you can calm the people the majority of people and thinking you're a good guy I think all these people that have attained a certain level in politics. They're all bad people Um, Whether you like it or not. I know people think the other side of the line that they're on everyone on the other side is bad people on your side are bad too. So, um, but wish, wish, uh, you know, being happy that he has COVID. Like I said, if, if that's your game, that's fine. I just think if you're, if you're saying that it's karma, I just think wishing him dead, you're putting out something bad out there. And I, I guess you don't really understand the concept of karma, but I had to say that I had to get that off my chest. Uh, like I said, if, Doesn't make a difference to me I just found it quite amusing So On to the episode So This is episode 32 And It's the first episode In what I call Seasons So you've heard me In the past Talk about um, The process of Getting guests For the show And how it is Sometimes A bit of a chore To Uh, track down guys and then actually get them to come on the show give you an example Uh, there was one guy who said he would do the show I reached out to him via Facebook seemed really interested in doing the show said he would do the show and uh, messaged him a few times in the same chain message that he answered the first time messaged him a few times and uh, nothing I think the kids call it ghosting. So I'm being ghosted by this guy on Facebook. So maybe you're saying, well, maybe he's just not on Facebook anymore. He doesn't do too much on Facebook. Well, you'd be wrong because this guy uh, posts on Facebook a bunch of times and replies all the time. We're in similar groups. Uh, We're actually Facebook friends, obviously. So I see some stuff. Um, So I guess he's not interested. Conversely, I've been talking to someone else about appearing on the show and our communication has remained pretty steady. Uh, The issue with this gentleman is his job. He runs his own business, the hours are crazy. And I have friends that run similar businesses to the one that he's in and I know the hours that they put in. So with with this particular guy, uh, I completely understand it And, and the communication is there. It's really just a question of, When are we going to hook up? And like I said, I have no issue with that. I don't care with this second individual. If it takes me six months to hook up with him, I'm cool with that. I know what he does for a living and uh, I know the hours that are needed to put into that business. And, um, you know, every time we talk, he's sorry, you know, about that. And I'm like, look, you're, I know what you're doing. So I have no issue with it. I'm just like, I I keep telling him, I'm glad that you're still willing to do the show and hopefully we'll be able to come up with a time. So, um, In terms of the first scenario, it just gets frustrating after a while. And, you know, my original um, goal of the show was to bring you an interview every week. So if it was a five week month, then that would be five interviews. And if it was a four week month, that would be four interviews. And for a while, I I was on fire. I mean, I said I was on fire. Really are are the guys. They're on fire. They're saying, yes, they're into it and we're getting it done. and, And it's going fucking awesome and uh you know everything i guess has to come to an end and then i just hit a dry spell and then i was getting really frustrated and the one thing that i've said in in the past is that the minute that this show becomes a source of frustration a source of anxiety i'm gonna pack it in but i enjoy doing it and i enjoy reconnecting with guys and you know some of these guys i haven't spoken to in in 10 years you know 15 years and then you know the way guys are you just you know, I don't have to talk to you for 15 years and we could talk for 15 minutes and we're all caught up and it's cool And I really enjoy that part of doing this So it would really take a lot for me to pack it in and not do this anymore But but honestly there was a period of time a month or so ago two months ago that that I was considering it I was fucking aggravated um So what I figured is and, and I had mentioned it a show or two ago that what i'm going to do going forward is Um, Alternate the episodes. So there'll be uh, an interview followed by a solo episode followed by an interview Solo episode you get the idea But as far as the solo episodes go uh, I had to come up with something and you know I have done the the top 10 episodes uh, by position and the only one left of those would be the ultimate top 10 Islanders list After that I wouldn't know what I could do. So I was thinking about it and um, I thought, why? you know, I thought of something, um, you know, who knows? I, I think it's a pretty good idea. I'm sure I'm not the first person to think about this. Uh, it may be done on other shows. I have no idea. But I thought about picking a particular player and discussing this a particular season in their career that they had with the Islanders or the organization. So... It'll be easier to do this with Islanders because um, the footage will be available. Um, If I need to go back and research newspaper articles, that'll be more readily available. It'll be a little more difficult if I wanted to go back and do uh, a season of someone maybe with Springfield Indians or Capital District or uh, the Grizzlies Bridgeport. It might be more difficult. I mean, obviously Bridgeport might be easier than the other ones, but um, I look at it as a challenge. So I'd, I'd like to do that also. But I would say the majority of these episodes, which I am calling seasons, so it'll be the season series, and uh, like I said, I'll be taking um, a player and going through a season in their career. We'll talk. I'll talk about the fights. We'll talk about other stuff that happened in that season, and uh, try to make it interesting. So there's um, plenty of guys who who um, I can't either I either can't get in touch with. Uh, have no interest in doing the show or any other reason. And one of those players who I I don't think will ever do a show, Uh, I mean, I I would think maybe if uh, an ex-teammate of his does a show or has a show, maybe he would consider doing that. But honestly, this is a guy that once, well, first when he played, he was never one that really wanted to talk about his fighting. And once he retired, I don't think he really ever wanted to talk about his career at all. He kind of put that past him. And that's Kenny Baumgartner. And it's unfortunate because when Kenny was here, him and I got along really well. And, um, you know, as I think back, I was young. You know, when he got here, I was uh, 19. So, uh, you know, to me, that was, well, that was a long time ago. So I'm sure every time I saw him, I was probably you know, talking about fights, talking about this, talking about that. Hey, could you sign these 8,000 things for me? And I, he was always great. Like he was, he was just a great guy to me. And, uh, I remember, uh, back in the days where there were record stores, uh, when Kenny put out his, uh, bomber CD, um, he had a signing at the tower records over here. And, uh, so I went there and, uh, I didn't get there when it first started. I didn't know what kind of line it was be, would be, but, uh, I got there midway and, fortunately when i got there there was only a few people there and then when they left i I just hung with them for the rest of the time and we bullshit and everything and um you know they had the little standee sign on the on the table he signed that for me i have that um he was just awesome he was just uh really good to me and obviously i'm a monster fan of his and to have the opportunity to ever get him on the show would be a dream come true but um you know i guess the thing with kenny is he he was one of those guys who didn't want to be known just for fighting. And, you know, the reality is, obviously I didn't watch all his games with L.A., but I, I saw every game he played here on the Islanders. And the fact is, he was, a, he was an assassin, and that, that's his reputation that he brought from Junior and the American League and here. But the guy could also play. And I don't know what kind of opportunity he got with L.A. to show that he could play, but uh, L.A. was a pretty good team at the time, and the Islanders were not. So when he came here, he was immediately put into a top six defenseman role and he got to play on the wing sometimes. So his playing time with the Islanders jumped up incredibly from his playing time with LA and he got better. And, you know, he scored one goal when he was here, but his job wasn't to play offense, but strong defensively. Uh, You know similar to Eric Cairns where Cairns really wasn't given a chance by the Rangers uh, Consistently to show that he could play and then when he got here he really developed into a top six defenseman I mean that was bomber back in the day and You know a lot of these guys that are are known like, you know Everyone knows Proby really didn't want uh, didn't enjoy talking about the fights to the media and everything but I'll tell you what when he would come to Long Island we, we would chat about it and he was really cool about it and that could that could just be the fact that, you know, he was a cool guy and he only saw me once or twice a year. And, you know, I had guys like Jimmy Commons and Ryan Vandebush put in, you know, good word for me. So he knew I wasn't, uh, you know, he knew I was not going to take anything he said and run wherever it was. It was just two really cool guys having a chat. And, um, you know, bomber, bomber, I guess, just, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing here. Probably felt that anything that anyone ever wanted to talk about was his fighting. And, you know, the fact is, with the Islanders, I saw every game. He could play the game. You know, obviously, um, he was a vice president of the Players Association. Um, you know, he was going to college while he was here. So there was a lot more to to Bomber than his fists. And I don't know if that really was uh, was what bothered him, the fact that you could talk to him about a lot of things, but I would imagine most of the time people wanted to talk to him about his fighting. And... That could be why he doesn't he does didn't really enjoy. I mean, he did the interviews the in-between interview in between period interviews and things like that Um, And I and I doubt he ever turned anyone down, you know in the media for an interview, but uh, I post career uh, I had reached out to him back in Oh four, I think it was when I had the website that I always talk about where I did interviews with guys that were just printed interviews on my website and I had reached out to him and Sent me a very nice email back, obviously. Hope, hope everything's doing well and everything, but he's kind of put his hockey career behind him. And it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, he was, he was a very, I mean, to me, his Islander run was unbelievable. I mean, his, his fights with L.A. And, you know, obviously, I, I, can't, I can't speak really for um, pre-Islanders and post-Islanders in terms of the playing time that he got. I don't know. Um, I know he was a regular here, but I know with the other teams um, He was still an ass-kicker no matter what team he was on going up to the end of his career with the Bruins still kicking ass late in his career Um, And hopefully he got playing time I I can't say he did or he didn't because the only games I saw were if they played the Islanders or if they were on national TV, but um, It's unfortunate. I, I think bomber is a resource for fight fans like myself that would be invaluable, but he chooses uh, to leave his hockey career in the past. Um, I don't think he'll ever do the show. I won't even reach out to him because I, I, I've i been told no, like I said, for the other website. And it seems like he really has put uh, put his uh, hockey career behind him, so. Um, maybe one day, if I see him at the, uh, you know, if he does the alumni stuff when they have him here, I know he did the last one, I believe. I wasn't there for that, of course. You know, Maybe I'll say, hey, uh, you want to do a podcast and talk about the thing you never want to talk about? Um, So I don't see it happening. Uh, I don't see him doing anyone's show, but like I said, who knows? That could change. Uh, So I figured if um, I'm never going to get him on the show, uh, I want to talk about him somehow. Because the three years that he was here were, fuck, they were fun, man. When he got here, the chemistry that him and Mick had right off the bat was unbelievable, and I think it's a credit to both of them. You know, Mick Mick uh, Mick was the incumbent here, and a lot of times, you know, nobody wants to be replaced, and I, I don't. That was never the plan to have Bomber come in and replace Mick. I think the plan was to have both of them here, but you don't know how how a player is going to take another player coming in that does a similar job. Uh, I mean, there's only so many of those jobs available. And I, I don't think Mick ever felt threatened. Uh, there's a story that I don't know if I've ever told. Um, when, uh, when Dean, Dean Ewan was with Capital District, um, he had to come up to Long Island to see a doctor. And I remember when he was here, I, I don't remember who the Islanders were playing. Uh, when he walked into the Islander locker room, Vakoda saw him and he's like, finally, I have some help. So Mick's always been that guy where he was confident enough in the job that he did where he didn't see other guys coming in as a threat. And I think some guys might, and he never did. And uh, unfortunately, when, when uh, he said that to Dean, Dean said, no, I'm just here to see the doctor. Um, and, you know, I've, as I've said, he never, never was given the opportunity to play here on the island. But when Bomber came in, him and Mick were just like, man, they were you know they were the long island bruce nassau county's Bruce brothers man they were a ton of fun it was just two guys from the western league that brought that western league vibe to the nhl and it was a lot of fun and they just had this chemistry and you could tell that there were some nights where the two of them they were just going to start running guys and they were going to have fun and those were the best games so um you know i missed those days those days were they were great and you, they're never coming back. So it's unfortunate. So this would be episode 32. It is the debut of seasons. And this would be uh, Ken Baumgartner, 1989 90 season. So these are, uh, I went through the fights. I went through uh, other things. I took notes. So um, I'm going to try not to sound like I'm reading this stuff because obviously I'm not going to remember all the details from all the fights. So uh, hopefully I do okay. And, uh, you know, hang in there with me. And uh, hopefully that can make it a little interesting. So the 89-90 season starter for Kenny Baumgartner, he was a member of the LA Kings. He played uh, 12 games with LA, started the season with LA, played 12 games, actually scored a goal opening night at home against Toronto. And uh, during those 12 games with LA, he did manage two fights. One of the fights was against Alan Kerr. And fortunately for, for me and you know fight nerds like me, whatever, on the East Coast, um, obviously being... On Long Island, I saw the Islander fight with Kerr because the Islanders are on obviously all the time and uh, the other fight he had was against the Bruins and uh, SBK we got SBK so I saw that fight too. So the two fights that he had prior to his trade were on TV here I saw them both. Obviously, I would have seen them after the fact on a fight tape or something like that But I was able to watch them both um, the fight against Alan Kerr Kerr actually uh, hit Wayne Gretzky knocked him down And uh, I guess either he didn't give a fuck or didn't notice that right behind Gretzky was the heat-seeking missile Ken Baumgartner Baumgartner wasted no time getting in uh, Dropping the goals with Alan Kerr Uh, Bomber landed a few good lefts in the fight Kerr actually landed a pretty good left himself uh, But in that fight uh, Bomber was pretty much in control from the start No real damage was done to Kerr. I think it was pretty much don't fuck with Wayne Gretzky Uh, Kerr got up uh bomber definitely won the fight but uh you know like i said kerr did something a lot of guys didn't have the courage to do and that's hit wayne gretzky and i love alan kerr you know you go look at alan kerr's numbers and then look at look at his height and weight like alan kerr just he'd fight anybody and um you know this is another example like you know what I, i say maybe he didn't know bomber was on the ice i'm sure he knew bomber was on the ice maybe he was just trying to get something started, and. There's no better way to get something started against the Kings or the Oilers or the Blues or the Rangers, wherever Gretzky was, than to go hit Wayne Gretzky. And, um, you know, Kerr and Bomber played in the Western League. I don't know if they overlapped. I I know uh, Kerr wasn't there before him. I don't know if they overlapped. I don't know if they ever met before. Um, But, you know, nice fight. Definitely a win for Bomber. But, you know, Kerr didn't take a backward step. So uh, nothing to be ashamed about there and, and like I said, no real damage, but if you give the decision to anyone, it's definitely Bomber uh, His second fight with the Kings that year was against Lou Crawford So in this fight, uh, Bomber and Crawford, they tied up in front of the Bruins bench and uh, They wrestled a little bit and this is one thing I noticed with the, a lot of Bomber's fights if he, uh, if he didn't get his left going right away um, He was such a good positional fighter where he'd wrestle a little bit to try to get positioned and try to get that left loose. And uh, so this was no different. They wrestled a little bit. Bomber did eventually get the left loose and he put Crawford down with a couple of shots. After the fight as they were being separated, Bomber had some pretty angry words for Crawford. I don't know what that was about. Uh, Lou was cut above the eye. I wasn't sure if if it was a result of the fight or if something happened earlier because obviously the footage that I have, I didn't have it from say 45 seconds before, but I'm gonna guess it happened in the fight. And uh, again, another win for Bomber. Excuse me one second. So, two fights with the Kings, 12 games, 28 penalty minutes, had a goal, and um, was a minus 10. And the only reason why I'm giving you that plus minus number is because I want to give you his uh, plus plus minus with the Islanders later on. And uh, next thing I know, driving to school, I've said this before. I went to St. John's and uh, used to listen to Imus and um, driving to St. John's one morning and I hear Mike Breen. Yes, the voice of the Knicks was once the guy who did sports on Imus. And I hear Mike Breen say, Islanders made a trade. They traded Miko Makala to LA for Hubie McDonough and Ken Baumgartner. And I literally drove off the road. I was so fucking happy. Now, there was a person before the trade happened that would frequent the St. John's campus with his home white Ken Baumgartner, Chevy style, King's jersey. And most people had no idea who that was. I remember there was one guy. I don't remember his name. He's a really cool guy. He's a huge, huge Dave Manson fan. And uh, he knew who he was. We were, I, I think we may have had a class or two together. And um, we would always talk about the fighters and everything like that. So he knew who he was. But most people had no idea. And that person was me, of course. that would wear my Kenny Baumgartner King's jersey. Or, I used to wear jerseys all the time. Um, that was me. So Islanders get Ken Baumgartner. And within a week or two, everyone's like, oh, that's the guy. That's the jersey you have, the King's jersey. Right, 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 right. So that morning was fucking great. I remember I, I don't even think I could really concentrate in school because just wanted to find out more, whether it was listening to FAN or whatever. I mean, there's no internet back then, so it's not like I can go, I got to jump on the computer and find out more about this. I just wanted to, I don't know, get home, watch News 12, whatever it was. And in the grand scheme of things, that trade was not a big trade at the time. You know, the biggest name in the trade at the time was Miko Makala, based on what he had done in the past. And um, I think it was Arthur Staple, actually. He did a, a series of the best player to ever wear 24 for the Islanders. And he gave it to Miko Makala. Uh, I definitely would not do that. If, if I had to give it to someone, obviously I'd want to give it to Bomber. I may have to give it to Gordy Lane because Gordy Lane was a solid defenseman and, um, you know, he's a key, key player in the cup team. So I would probably give it to Gordy Lane. I'd want to give it to Bomber. But at the time, uh, I guess Miko was still considered a good player. Uh, to me, I don't know. He he had a few good years with playing with Pat Fontaine, but um, it wasn't a huge deal. Like I said, here on the island, I think it was just viewed as who did the Islanders get for this guy for Miko Makala? I think they got Rob, but for in the uh, in the L'Zito house, no, that was unbelievable. That was I don't know much about Hubie McDonough, and they gave up Miko Makala and got Ken Baumgartner. So I was pretty pumped. Okay, but. That season for the Islanders, they were terrible in the beginning of the year. Uh, before Bomber came to the— so that was, By the way, that was November 29th, 1989. I should have went back and saw what day of the week that was. But on November 29th, 1989, I almost drove off the Grand Central Parkway in my delight that the Islanders got Ken Baumgartner. Prior to the trade, the Islanders had five wins, 18 losses— and three ties what is that in 26 games in 26 games they had five wins and they had lost five games in a row prior to the trade the islanders finished that year after the trade the, the finished record 31 38 and 11 so they were seven games under 500 which is pretty good considering that prior to the trade they were 13 games under 500 um after the trade they were 26 20 and eight eight ties they used to allow ties it, and it actually wasn't a bad thing by the way for those of you newbies at one point during the season the team went on a 23 six and three run i mean i remember this like it was yesterday they just couldn't do anything wrong it was they it would they were flying out there and obviously this all coincided with the trade and whenever. Bomber would do an interview or hubie mcdonough would do an interview People would always talk about how this turnaround Was due to the trade and and both guys to their credit were always quick to say no that you know They're just a part of the team and all this other stuff and and they just deflected it because it's the ultimate team game so they were always quick to deflect that and uh, Like I said, especially bomber, you know bomber would always say you know we're just pieces of the team we're parts of the team and you know, maybe we did provide a spark at the beginning But um, you know always humble, you know Hubie McDonough was the same way just really humble guys They didn't want the credit, but for people like myself for fans people in the media. It was undeniable that It wasn't obviously due to them that the team turned everything around but in a, in a sport like hockey it's just a matter of getting the right pieces so obviously things weren't working with miko Makala. if you want to say miko macula was a better scorer than either one of those guys yeah i mean obviously there's no denying that but hockey is so much more than scoring no matter what you'd have these analytics nerds tell you um it's about personality it's about camaraderie it's about um chemistry and obviously the ken baumgartner and Hubie mcdonough walking into that locker room worked wonders and I'm not even saying that, you know, anything bad about Miko. Bomber and Hubie were just a better fit. So even though they would always downplay uh, their influence to the team after the trade, there was no denying it. There wasn't. And it was, and you know what? It was fun. Like that, those first two months were terrible. I mean, they were terrible. And now all of a sudden, that, that run that I mentioned, the 23-6-3 and run, when they lost, like in the beginning of the year, the first two months when they lost, you were like, oh, by how much? When they won, it was like a holiday. And during that run when they lost, you didn't know how to react because it was just one of the most amazing runs in the team history. And, you know, it just seemed like a different team with those two guys, when you add those two guys to the locker room. It really did. Um, one other thing that I noticed uh, a few months into their, their tenure were the jersey sales. So even to this day, when you go to the Coliseum, you're always going to see the cup guys. People are always going to have their, the, you know, the bossy jerseys, Trottier jerseys, um, Gillies, Nystrom, uh, Billy Smith, Dennis Pavin. Those guys, you're always going to see those jerseys. 50 years from now, people are still going to be wearing those jerseys. But as far as current players went, you really saw Pat LaFontaine and re- not many other guys. Really, you really didn't see many other guys. You'd see other guys here and there, but it was pretty much the dynasty guys and Pat Lafontaine. After the trade, you started seeing a lot of twenty fours in the stands. You did. You started seeing a lot of twenty fours, and they weren't Um, And then you really saw it you know, as they were winning, you saw it, you saw it. And then the next season, his first, actually the only full season that bomber ever had was the next season, ninety ninety one, And that's when you really saw them come out. So, uh, you know, they, a lot of times you talk about, uh, Philadelphia and you compare, uh, the popularity of Frank by when he was with the phantoms to, you know, Eric Lindros and John LeClair when they were with the flyers. Um, people like fights and people like the enforcers and, uh, you noticed a lot of 24 jerseys once they got him and once they the team turned it around and and the run He was on you know the run his run with the islanders There were I would say the only guy who had more jerseys than bomber at the time was pat LaFontaine That was it. Nobody else. Nobody else had more jerseys than bomber except for patty So I mentioned uh Bomber's stat line with la with the islanders He ended up playing 53 games no goals, five assists, so with L.A. he was more of a goal scorer. With the Islanders, he definitely uh, concentrated more on playmaking with the five assists. 194 penalty minutes, and I gave you his minus number with L.A. because I wanted to give you his number with the, with the Islanders. He was plus six. So I'm not one that really gives that stat a, you know, a ton of credence because there's so many factors you know, in becoming a plus. You, know, you could jump on the ice and the guys could score and you had nothing to do with it and you get a plus. Same thing, the other team scores, you get a minus. Like, it, it's it's one of those weird stats. Um, I mean, I think once you get into, I, I remember like some of the guys in the Red Wings, I think, or the Oilers or whatever, they had like these ridiculous plus minus numbers. Um, and then I think it's on some really bad teams they had some really ridiculous minus numbers. So it's, it's really one of those stats. You can really make of it what you want. But, you know, especially the way the team had started out, the fact that Bomber, uh, you know, and I think it's a credit to, His skill and and the way he developed as a defenseman ended up as a plus six. And he had um, 12 fights, I think it was. Uh, I guess I'll find out. I should have probably counted up my notes here. Um, He was second on the team in penalty minutes, one of Mick's really good years. Mick had 290 penalty minutes. And like I said, the, the Mick and Baumgartner tag team for these three seasons they were here, Was fucking awesome, it was so great It's one of my most favorite times being an Islander fan So Mick led the team in penalty minutes With 290, Bomber was second With 194 Uh, Mick led the team in fights that year with 20 And Bomber was Tied for fifth And that's the reason why I gave you the plus minus number Because he was uh, tied His plus six tied for fifth with Don Maloney Uh, Maloney was also plus six So uh, he was tied for fifth with that So like I said, make of that what you will uh, make of that stat what, what you will. But, uh, you know, it's a stat, so why not? I'll give it to you there. So um, so now we'll get on to the fights. So Bomber's first game with the Islanders was in Chicago. And that was on November 30th, 1989. Uh, this was the game where if, uh, I'm sure you've seen it, the game where Vakota uh, absolutely beats the bag off of Val Secord. That was this game. Um. Bomber didn't fight in this game, but there was, uh, there was an incident early, uh, I think it was pretty early in the game, where uh, Steve Thomas uh, took a run at Patty, and uh, then Dave Manson was roughing him up a bit. And uh, Bomber jumped right in. He jumped right in, you know, and Dave Manson, former teammate of his in Prince Albert. I, I think back to that, by the way. Think back to Prince Albert Raiders. Um, they had Bomber, they had Dave Manson, uh, Rod Dahlman. Uh, I think Al Stewart was on that team think think back to having a young Ken Baumgartner and a young Dave Manson on one team that must have been unbelievable and uh, they won a Memorial Cup I mean but how much fun would would that be to be a Prince Albert Raiders fan in Prince Albert being able to watch those games uh but again it's it's the it's the team you're on at the time and Bomber stepped right in with Dave Manson. You know, again, they didn't fight, but you have to do what you have to do to protect your teammates. And uh, in an in-between period, in-between periods interview that Bomber did with Ed Westfall, Ed asked him about his style of play. So Bomber said in reference to his physical style, that's the way I play the game. It's something I do well, and it's something I have to do game in and game out to be effective. They said in the press release they were looking for a little spark, and I'm hoping to provide that. And then Ed went on to ask him about the incident that involved Pat LaFontaine, Steve Thomas, and Dave Manson. And he said, I was playing wing with Patty there, and I just wanted to send a message. I've been doing it for Gretzky the last year or two, and we're going to do the same thing with Patty. No one's going to take advantage of him. He's our key player in the organization, and we have to protect him at all costs. How do you not love that? And that's nothing you would hear today. I'm reading this, and I'm getting goosebumps, okay, because I remember it. I remember it, and I just, like I said, I watched it yesterday and uh, getting goosebumps and ironically i laughed because that was some prophetic words that he said because obviously we'll discuss later on this was the season that they played the rangers in the playoffs and they had the uh that big playoff brawl so uh, bomber not only is he a smart guy maybe he's a uh, psychic but uh but that was good to hear that was very good to hear um obviously that's part of the job description for the enforcers you got to protect your teammates and you especially have to protect your star players and patty was far and away the star player on this team so um you know bomber did his job he stepped in send the message and um i think this was the first reference that uh, the fans started hearing of bomber with the daddy's home and uh, i guess the history behind that is when he was in junior hockey and in the minors um he'd jump into the piles there and he'd say some things he said um you know, he say they, he called him goofy things or silly things, but, uh, he would come in and, and say things like that. And, uh, one of the things was daddy's home. And he told Jiggs McDonald later in the year that I didn't say it anymore. Uh, once he hit the NHL, but who knows, but I'm sure when he jumped into the crowd, he had something to say, especially to Manson, because they're buddies and, you know, ex teammates and stuff like that. So that must've been interesting, but that was sort of, um, a portent of things to come for Islander fans to see that. So, his first actual fight took place in Hartford on December 6th against Ed Kastelik. Now Ed Kastelik, he's sort of an under the radar guy and he really was um, the enforcer in Hartford before uh, Jim McKenzie's tenure went. And he, he was sort of an under the radar guy. He was kind of in between Tory Robertson and, and Jim McKenzie uh, always seemed in the middle of it with the Islanders, especially during the Baumgartner and Vakota uh, era. He was always involved with one of those two guys. And, um, this was Bomber's first fight, first actual fight with the Islanders. Uh, the fight started. Kastelik absolutely bowls over Patrick Flatley. Bomber grabs him and they drop the gloves. Now, much of the early fight is out of the frame uh, as the camera was following the puck, so I can't really tell what, if anything, landed. But when the camera returned, uh, they were wrestling to the boards, and eventually Baumgartner got Kastelik's helmet off. Eddie used to wear the uh, the Knucklebuster, the Cooper, my favorite one. Uh, he used to wear that, and I know those tend to get welded to your head uh bomber got his helmet off and he landed three solid lefts um kestelik actually did land a good punch during the fight and i actually give uh eddie a lot of credit because he had uh he had fought mick Vakota earlier in the period um so fighting you look at these guys now keep in mind and and you watch after a fight and let let's let's even talk about nowadays where the um the access that the uh, hockey players have to fitness and And food and things like that is as advanced as it's ever been and these guys are in phenomenal shape But watch them after a fight in the box. They're sucking wind because it is such a taxing thing to do Uh, it just takes so much out of you one fight and You could be junk for the rest of the night depending on how long the fight goes depending on how much damage whatever and whenever guys have two fights in a game I always give them credit because I can't imagine how much gas you have left in the tank for that second fight. Forget about when a guy has three fights in a game, um, but I always, whenever a guy would have multiple fights in a game, I'd always give them a ton of credit. And like I said, in this game, uh, Castlec had fought Fakoda earlier uh, in the period, and then then he fights Baumgartner. Um, you know, and I think it was a different way back then. You know, it wasn't. You know, it was before the advent of guys turtling pretty much or the fake glove drop or something like that you know i i, I mean look eddie hit flatly bomber came in and and did his job it was similar to in the preseason when alan kerr hit gretzky and bomber came in and did his job you know kerr didn't turtle Kerr Kur didn't do the fake glove drop whatever and in this case neither did ed kastelik so uh, so i give eddie credit but again this was definitely a, a win for bomber um you know in his first fight with the islanders his next fight was at home against David Maley. And again, we have a situation with a guy having two fights uh, in a period. Dave Mailey had actually fought Gerald Dittick earlier in the period. Um, also earlier in the period, Baumgartner had just freight trained Jamie Huscroft. No, no damage done. Huscroft didn't leave the game or anything, but visually it was a huge hit. So again, guys like Bomber, guys like Maley, you know, Vakota, cast like these guys, when something like that happens, you have to keep it in the memory bank. So um, Sports Channel goes to a commercial, and as they come back from commercial, the fight's already in full swing, Bomber and melee, And Bomber is just throwing left after left after left, and he has melee completely tied up. I mean, it was uh, completely one-sided from the point that the, the, they came back from commercial. Um, Bomber takes melee down, and, you know, Ed Westfall used to frustrate me a lot. Because he would always, uh, uh, you know, say, "I don't, you know, I don't know how they got mad at each other." You know, uh, you know, they haven't even played against each other. How did they get mad at each other? How did they, how how are they fighting? You know, he would do that a lot, and it just got to be really tiresome after a while. And I and I always thought Ed was a bit hypocritical because, um, you know, he was a Boston Bruin during the big bad Bruins days, and then he was an Islander, you know, in the formative years where they had guys like Gary Howitt. And uh, Clark Gillies and Bobby Nystrom So, you know, Eddie was never much of a fighter, nor did he have to be. But he was always well protected, and it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not saying you have to embrace the guys. Even later years, he was critical of Brent Severin um, in a in an interview with Mike Milbury. And actually, I couldn't believe Mike Milbury actually defended Seve, but um, just seemed to be a little critical of it, maybe a little overcritical, and that always rubbed me the wrong way. But Every now and then he would he would have a good one liner during a fight, and in this fight after uh, after Bomber had uh, finished off melee, uh he says to Jiggs, "I think Bomber hung one on him." And I might not be doing doing the quote justice. I guess if you go back and watch it, it's actually uh, it's actually pretty funny. But uh, so in that fight, Bomber got five minutes for fighting. Melee got two for high sticking, two for instigating, five for fighting, and a game misconduct. Now again, because the fight started during a commercial. I don't know how it started. Obviously, judging by the penalties, Mailey initiated. I don't know if Mailey got any shots in. I, you know, from what I can say, from the part that was on the camera, Bomber completely dominated the fight. I don't know if Mailey had any sort of offense before they came back from commercial. And I don't know what started the fight. I can only guess that maybe uh, Mailey initiated the fight in retaliation for the hit that Bomber laid on Huscroft. Um, again, a definite win for Kenny in this one. And then after the fact, while, um, I think they were, the officials were talking to Ken in the penalty box, mainly of course was off the ice, uh, Mick and Jamie Huscroft had words and they eventually dropped the gloves and they were both kicked out for being the second altercation in the same stoppage. So, um, like I said, another good showing for Baumgartner. And I think, you know, the fans were really, I don't know exactly when the bomber chance started after his fight. It, It could have been then, but you noticed during, during his fight, I mean, during all the fights, I mean, who are we kidding? We all know that people like the fights, but the, the Coliseum was rocking every time Bomber and Mick would drop the gloves. And uh, I think because Bomber was still pretty new at the time, people were just getting to know what he was capable of. So again, that was a treat for the fans. So his next fight was January 6, 1990. And this was against Paul Gillis. Now, Paul Gillis was always more of an agitating type. And it was funny because I was watching a disc uh, a few months ago, uh, Quebec Nordiques against Montreal Canadiens, and Gillis is pretty prominent in it. But he's sort of like a like a snake, you know, like a, like an agitator, you know. And I give him credit; he's not a Brad Marchand where um, you know Marchand's a punk, but he'll never fight. You know, Gillis would fight, he'd defend himself. But he, when you watch a, t- a disc like that, you kind of get to you get to realize why guys hated him so much. He was he played the role a lot as, like, a punk and everything. And, you know, it worked to his advantage. I, I'm not criticizing the guy. The guy played several years in the NHL. But every now and then when you do that, you know, you got to answer the bell. And, um, and I, I actually, I remember when I was watching it, when I was done, I had sent a message to Darren Kimball, who played with Gillis. And I'm like, I really didn't realize what a douche Gillis was on the ice a lot. And, you know, Kimby said, yeah, he played his game, but he would fight when he had to. And, and that's true, he did. Um, he wasn't very good at fighting when he, when he would fight. Guys like Ken Baumgartner, I mean, there's a definite uh, difference in the level, the skill level of these guys. Uh, a guy like Kenny Baumgartner and a guy like Paul Gillis when they dropped the gloves against each other. Definitely a difference there. Um, and it showed. So, I mean, Gillis did his job. He's an agitator. Uh, but in this fight, it was very one-sided. I think there were three punches, maybe four. Uh, first punch, Bomber lands a left. Gillis is off balance. Second punch puts him down. And then when he gets down, he throws another punch or two in for good measure. Um, another good uh, another good comment by Ed Westfall in this fight was, in reference to Bomber, he doesn't throw many punches, but means business when he does. And uh, again, I, I love comments like that from Westfall, but he just would, the whole thing with, I don't know how they got mad at each other, uh, it just got to be super annoying after a while. But I did like when Eddie would come up with comments like that. Um, again, this was one of the more one-sided fights of the year, uh, not only for Kenny, but probably in the league, uh, you know, full marks to Gillis for standing up for himself again, you know, it, this, this phenomenon of the fake glove drop and the, and the turtling, it, it happened back then, uh, more so the turtling than the fake glove drop, but it wasn't as prominent as, as it became later on. And Gillis had to know that he was overmatched, but it didn't matter. He stood in there, he dropped the gloves and I think bomber cut him a little bit. And, um, Again, a definite win for Bomber in this one. Next up on the fight card is John Drews. Now, I think what, uh, I mean, anyone that's my age or anyone that uh, watched this stuff, watched the league back then, you might be thinking, "Well, he's fighting guys like Paul Gillis. He's fighting guys like John Drews. Uh, It's I wouldn't even look at it as Bomber is fighting these guys. What? How I would look at it as guys like, Gillis and John Drews didn't have a problem fighting guys like Bomber, even if they were overmatched, like I had said with Paul Gillis. Um, Guys weren't afraid to to do stuff like that. I mean, obviously, listen, uh, they're all men. And and whenever men are throwing hands, anything can happen. Um, But obviously a guy like a Baumgartner, a guy like Mick on the Islanders, uh, you know, on Washington, let's say. Yeah, guys like Alan May and Kiprios, uh, guys that Gillis played with like Donnelly and and Darren Kimball; those guys are obviously way, way up the ladder in terms of fighting. But you know, guys like Drews, guys like Gillis, third liners, fourth liners. I mean, you know, Druse uh, he had that great playoff against the Rangers, scoring the goals. But I would think predominantly, you know, those are third and fourth line guys. Every now and then, they didn't mind dropping the gloves, even if it was against someone like a Ken Baumgartner. And you know, hey, if you're challenged, you know, if if, uh, if Gillis is in front of you, John Drews is in front of you, Joey Koser, I mean it's all a fight and you just go and do it so uh january 13th 1990 uh bomber and john druce went at it and uh basically this started there was a skirmish in the corner and and this is what i'm talking about the skirmish was actually initiated uh by john druce and then um it evolves into druce and bomber dropping gloves uh a bit of wrestling so you know a lot of times when 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 the guys would get in tight with bomber, you try to wrestle with them, try to, you know, get some distance, you know, hold off with the right hand, push him out, try to get, you know, again, try to get the left going, always trying to get the left going. And Before that would happen. Sometimes there'd be a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of grappling. Um, so uh, while that happened, once bomber could get a little distance, he landed a the left uppercut. Uh, then there was a little more grappling. He ties up druce. One of the things that bomber was so good at was, was tying guys up. Um, Guys like Serge Robers, they they made a living at it. I mean, Serge is a, is a real technician. You know, Bomber's a technician, but Bomber also had a lot of power, and I think Serge had power too. But uh, Bomber, again, he did everything perfectly. Uh, it was almost like a scientist when it come came to fighting, and uh, he tied guys up really, really well. And you know, a lot of times you had to you know bide your time when you're watching Kenny fight because uh, he's going to tie him up and. And then he gets the left loose and then he gets going. And that's basically what happened with Drew, with Drew's and Drew's never got anything going in this fight. Bomber landed a few more lefts and then they wrestled to the ice. And, um, you know, again, like I said, this is really now the fans are getting to know Kenny Baumgartner and, and, and you know, it's just this new guy. He had the, the mullet going, he had the blonde hair, like, uh, Mick Fakoda said in an interview, Bomber's got the Hollywood going. Uh, I think by this point, uh, they had probably put out that poster that you've seen me post on social media. They, um, I think the Islanders that year, uh, I think Genevieve Pharmacies were the sponsor, and they did a bunch of posters. And they uh, they did one poster with uh, Bomber and Mick. I think they brought him out to Hofstra. Uh, Mick and I talked about this uh, in one of the episodes that I did with him. I brought him out to Hofstra. They took a picture of the two of them under the one of the goalposts and everything. And uh, you know, it was just they were bomber was just gaining in popularity. And uh, as bomber skated to the penalty box, he raised both arms in victory, you know, playing it up for the fans. And, um, you know, they each got seven minutes. They each got two for roughing five for fighting again, uh, a win for bomber. in this one, after that, a couple of weeks go by and January 27th, bomber and Troy Loney go at it. Does that the Coliseum also, as I said earlier, I remember there were quite a bit, hold on. There were a lot of games, where Bomber and Mick would run around, and you could tell early, and you know you could tell a lot of times you could tell in the warm up, you know both the guys are pretty animated in the warm up, like not that they're acting crazy, but you know there were certain days where they they sing along to the music or they'd have this just this look on their face, like this little angelic look on their face, and you just kind of got a feeling. Obviously, depending on the opponent, maybe something's gonna happen tonight. And I remember this game when I was watching the video of this incident. You know, I remember this was a game they seemed to be running around a little bit. And uh, those games were, were always a lot of fun. So um, in this game, uh, Bomber hit uh, hit Zarlis Lapsky. And Troy Loney was, uh, you know, I guess at that Troy Loney was probably the primary enforcer at that point. I, I don't know if Caulfield was still there. Uh, he might have been. But uh, Loney played all the time. Uh, Jay didn't play in every game. He played a good amount, but he didn't play as much as Loney did. And I guess uh, probably they're, I don't even want to call him an enforcer. I mean, he he played physical. He was a smaller guy, Bob Airy. He was in the game. Um, he's just, also, he's such a whiner now in the games, like that. Uh, the revenge game. Jesus Christ, him and Steigerwald just, just whining so much about it. But when he played, you know, he played physical. I, I, I can't take that away from him, but... Uh, Loney was definitely for a period of time. He was the enforcer uh, with Pittsburgh. So after Bomber hits the Loney Loney was uh, skating towards Bomber and Bomber did this. I mean, this just says Western League. It just just screams Western League. So Bomber's back is to Loney and he kind of looks out of the corner of his eye uh, and he must have saw Loney out of his peripheral vision and he just throws an elbow. As, before Loney even has a chance to do anything He just puts that left elbow up And he just, oh fuck, what a good elbow that was And of course after that, now they're going to fight So um, they're both, They are both land a few good punches And then there was a, a commotion Going on behind them uh, Loney was skating forward, Bomber was skating Backward, and there was a big commotion of players And officials behind them So uh, Bomber actually ended up getting Tipped over with Loney on top Of him, and I can't see you can't see what happened because by then it's just a massive humanity so you can't really tell what's going on but i imagine that Loney was probably trying to get in a few shots while they were down because when bomber got up he was pissed he was really hot they had to restrain him and they eventually uh i think led him off to the locker room uh but he was furious when they got up so it leads me to believe, you know, it's kind of like what uh, when you hear football players talk about what happens on the line of scrimmage with the offensive and defensive linemen, the the stuff that goes on in the trenches. Um, you you probably had six guys down there, you know, and the, and the officials, and who knows, maybe Looney was trying to get his shot his shot in here or there, and Bomber was pissed when he got up. So, um, you know, they uh, Bomber got two minutes for charging. Probably should have got. I he got 2 minutes for charging on uh, Zalabsky Uh you know I I guess he's lucky he didn't get 2 minutes for elbowing cuz the elbow was was pretty sweet elbow. Uh they both get 5 minutes for fighting in addition. Um really no decision here. I mean before they fell down they each landed a shot. So I mean if you have to give a decision to anyone you can not it's a draw but uh but yeah not much there. I mean uh, Probably the best thing in the whole sequence was the elbow that he landed on Loney. As elbows go, it was, it was pretty nice. His next fight, February 2nd, 1990, at the Coliseum against Alan May. And Alan May's a guy that he would end up fighting quite a bit uh, during his Islander tenure. I don't really know if they fought much after he went to Toronto. Um, but during his Islander's tenure, him and Alan May would meet up quite a bit. And, and May, May did okay. I mean, May's a tough guy. I mean, he did okay against Bomber and a lot of other fights. Um, this was their first one with, with Kenny on the Islanders. And, uh, this was a good one in terms of the drama because they square off at center ice right under the scoreboard. I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but the entire crowd was on its feet cheering waiting in anticipation, because I know you hear from, from these idiots that people hate fighting and fighting is bad, but yes, believe it or not, you have these two warriors under the scoreboard at the Coliseum center ice. Under the lights, and and there's uh, however many people were in the crowd, and the guys in the benches, and everybody has their, their eyes focused on these two while they're squaring off at center ice. Uh, Bomber is definitely the was definitely the aggressor in this fight. He tried to engage a few times, um, tries to grab May. May you know pulled his arm away. It took a few times. Bomber finally threw uh, a few wild punches, and uh, one of them hit May, knocked his helmet off. Uh, they finally grab a hold of each other. Uh, May gets him in a headlock, Bomber escapes the headlock but loses his helmet. May pulls uh, pulls Bomber down to a knee, throws a punch hits Bomber's shoulder. As Ken's getting up, uh Alan May loses his balance, ends up on his back. Bomber throws a left as they as he falls on top of him. Uh, again, the camera angle wasn't great so I couldn't tell if Bomber landed the punch. I think he did because if he didn't, I mean I'm sure he landed the punch, it's just a question of where. Uh, He obviously didn't punch the ice if he landed in the face. It would be a good shot But I mean he could have landed in the chest or the shoulder. I honestly don't know if it landed or where it landed Um, If I had to give a decision on in this fight I would give it to bomber based on the way he pushed the fight his aggression and the fact that you know The only punch that may landed was to Bomber's shoulder Um, But again, it's not it wasn't really a fight where you give the, the decision to one or the other but what I can tell you is, it got the crowd energized, and uh, you know, it, again, it was just another fun moment in the time that Bomber was here. And uh, but no damage was done to either guy. They each get five minutes uh, for fighting. And like I said, Alan May became a frequent opponent for Bomber during his days here uh, with the Islanders. Next fight for Bomber was against former Islander Dwayne Sutter. Uh, Dwayne Sutter was uh, traded to Chicago, and uh, Chicago came into the Coliseum. This was February 17th. So Alan Kerr and Bob McGill were already fighting and uh, a scrum developed behind the net and Bomber and Dwayne Sutter were uh, the main parts of it. So uh, they dropped the gloves. Bomber throws two lefts that hit Sutter in the helmet. Then he throws a huge right haymaker that uh, Sutter ducks. Uh, Fortunately for Sutter, uh, when he ducked, Bomber missed or else he could have knocked him out. Uh, And when he ducked, he dropped to all fours. you can see Bomber trying to land a few more punches, but the camera cuts back to the uh, Kerr-McGill fight. And when the camera cuts back to uh, Bomber and Dwayne Sutter, uh, full-scale melee is broken out. There's just a ton of guys around Bomber and Dwayne. Um, nothing of real consequence develops. Uh, Bomber gets two for instigating, five for fighting in a game. Uh, Dwayne Sutter gets five for fighting. Again, you know, Bomber landed a couple of punches to the helmet. He would have killed him if he landed that huge right, but he didn't. Dwayne didn't you know didn't do anything so again if you're going to judge the fight you give the win the bomber but neither guy no worse for wear you know but uh again probably a smart move for Dwayne at that point in his career um I mean probably at any point in his career fighting a prime bomber it would never go well for Dwayne Sutter and you know how much I love Dwayne Sutter but uh smart move not really to engage but you know Sutter's not going to back down from anybody it's just not in their mentality so Again, you know, if you have to give the win to anyone, I give it to Bomber. Uh, next fight was at the Spectrum, February 18th, 1990. Bomber versus Tony Horacek. So Bomber and Horacek, they meet up behind Mark, uh, the net, uh, Mark Fitzpatrick's net, and they decide to have a go. Two good Western boys drop the gloves, everything's fair. They, uh, so they start the square off behind the net. They make their way out towards one of the face-off circles. Um, they grab onto each other. Bomber's throwing lefts, Horacek's throwing rights. Neither doing much damage Horacek does land a right and bomber proceeds to muscle Horacek down to his knees And then he throws four unanswered lefts before falling on Hor- falling on Horacek And then the officials come in to separate them uh, Bomber goes to the box Horacek goes to the dressing room for repairs. I think he might have cut Tony uh, uh, Above the eye or something like that. He might have cut him. So uh, Horacek went to the went to the uh, dressing room I I'm sure Horacek came back uh, you know he's a really tough guy. So, uh, but definitely, again, um, based on damage done, uh, definitely give the win to Bomber in this one. Uh, they each get five minutes for fighting. You know, just a, a good tilt between two very tough Western boys. Next fight, next two fights uh, with Bomber were, were really, really interesting fights. So the next fight that Bomber had was in Detroit, February twenty-eighth against Joey Koser. Again two Western League boys, two honest Western League boys, good good guys. And again, uh, these two guys engaged near Mark Fitzpatrick. Uh, and and Bomber's ability to tie guys up was key in this fight because obviously everybody knows you don't want to get hit by Joey Koser's right hand. And uh, Bomber, you know, quite the uh, conundrum because in order for Bomber to neutralize Joey's right hand, he has to hold off with the left, and that's Bomber's power arm. But Bomber does an excellent job of tying up Joey's right, har- right arm. Uh, he does throw some wild rights, and they actually utilized a, a backhand, like a, not a spinning backfist, but a backfist punch. Uh, he utilized that, and uh, that loosened Joey's helmet and eventually uh, falls off in the tussle. Uh, if it wasn't the best punch in the fight, one of the best punches of the fight was actually a left thrown by Koser in that fight. So uh, he throws her, you know, he, that Bomber threw maybe three or four lefts that landed, um, but nothing that, nobody went down from a punch in this fight, Coaster throws a big right, he finally got his right loose, he threw a big right that misses, and uh, Bomber was throwing a left uh, simultaneously, and the momentum of both huge punches that missed, uh, brought the two to the ice, it was a really spirited fight, uh, Joe Lewis was going crazy, um, you know, it's tough to gauge a winner in this fight, Uh, i would say islander fans probably saw the fight for bomber red wings fans probably saw the fight for koser um because there really wasn't a clear-cut winner um you know koser probably landed the best punch of the fight i mean he did he landed the best punch which ironically again was a left uh but bomber landed more neither guy the worse for wear like i said so i'm gonna rule it a draw if you're an islander fan you probably think i'm a putz and if you're a red wing fan you probably think i'm a homer but I see it as a draw. So, uh, again, nobody loses when these two guys get at it. And, uh, you know, the fans win. A few nights later, same road trip in St. Louis. Balmer and Kelly Chase. Again, another matchup of two good old Western boys. Uh, And this fight I remember, uh, you know, I watched it obviously, but I definitely remembered it because of uh, the way it went down. Again, they come together deep in the Islander zone and drop the gloves, similar to... The fight with Joey and the fight with Tony Horacek. Um they each land a uh, few rights to each other, uh, early rights, and uh, they're they're throwing pretty fast. After that, this fight becomes a defensive clinic on really how to duck punches. That's why this fight really stands out in my mind. I, I remember it, watching, it going, "Holy shit!" Like everybody knows, you know, Chase and Twist, and you yeah, had Chase was more the technician, and Twist was just the freight train. And, I mean, Kelly Chase, one of the things you hear about Kelly Chase and one of the things you hear when people talk about Bomber, talk about both of them, is how smart they were as fighters. And for a guy like Chase, he's smaller than most of the guys that he fought. And Kelly Chase survived a lot of years in this league because he knows how to fight and he's a technician. And defensively, they don't come much better than Kelly Chase. And when you get a guy like Chase and you get a guy like Bomber, who are both really great technical fighters you got a lot of punches thrown that are ducked under or you know bobbing and weaving and or guys tied up the hands um they each got five minutes for fighting again i don't see a clear-cut winner in this one so i'll rule it a draw but if you really want to watch the fight it's on youtube go back and watch and you just see this clinic put on by these two guys uh with their defensive style against each other in this one their technical style really memorable fight because of that so um Again, I, I rule it a draw. No real damage done by either guy. And uh, But as opposed to a, a Rock'em Sock'em fight where one of the guys is going to get killed, if, if you're if you're a fight fan and you appreciate the science behind fighting, it's actually a pretty fun fight to watch because, like I said, of, of the, the ducking and two technical wizards uh, fighting in this one. So definitely check it out. Now we get to March 6th, 1990, and we get... I call it the rematch, not really a rematch, but uh, Hartford at the Islanders. So this, this, again, is one of those games where you got Mick and Bomber running around. And like I said earlier in the, the description of Bomber fighting Eddie Kastelik, uh, Kastelik was always involved against the Islanders. He, he always seemed to find Mick and Bomber, and they always managed to find him. Uh, they made it easy for him in this one, in this sequence, because it's bad enough getting hit by Mick Vakoda or getting hit by Ken Baumgartner into the boards. It's going to hurt. Uh, when they both combine to hit you, uh, that's never a good thing. And Mick and Balmer came together and they absolutely destroyed Todd Krieger with the hit. Uh, I mean, just just destroyed him even after the fight, Krieger was still on the ice. So Mick and Balmer come in, they crushed Todd Krieger. I'm not even sure if Kastelik was on the ice at the time or if he jumped on before the whistle blew. Uh, because during the replay, all you see is Kastelik making a beeline For Baumgartner, uh at the last second looks up gets his hands up doesn't have time to drop his gloves Um, eddie basically tackles him uh, and then just proceeds to hit bomber a bunch of times in the shoulder maybe a shot in the back of the head but it's it's he's hitting him in the shoulder he's hitting him in the back um never really gotten bomber definitely didn't get a chance to engage kastelik you know because he his momentum uh basically tackled bomber uh, didn't get a chance to get any real clear shots in um, And of course With the way the fight went Castellick um, of course got uh, Five for fighting and a game misconduct and Baumgartner didn't get anything he didn't any have time to drop his gloves And I wanted to check and I didn't of course to see if the islanders maybe scored on the ensuing power play I don't know if they did because I'm a putz and I didn't look but Again, it counts as a fight because Castellick got uh Got a fighting major, but again, Bomber didn't uh, Bomber didn't get anything. So we just talked about Bomber and, uh, and Kelly Chase and talk about how they were technicians. Bomber's next fight is against one of the all-time great technicians in any era in the sport of hockey in any league as far as fighters go, and that's Tim Hunter. Uh, March 27, 1990, Tim Hunter against Ken Baumgartner at the Coliseum. Um, two of the best at tying up their opponents. And in the beginning of this fight that's exactly what you got uh not too many punches of substance were thrown by either guy uh bomber definitely would have landed the better fights uh, better fights bomber definitely landed the better punches but nothing nothing of consequence on either side i give the decision to bomber but uh it's probably more because both guys you know tied each other up and bomber may have landed a punch or two more i have no issue with anyone giving this fight a draw um again not not anything major and it's unfortunate when you get two really talented grapplers and guys that are defensive and technicians like like kelly chase against bomber or tim hunter against bomber where you want to see them go wide open and and swing and see what they got but these guys are smart and part of the fight is not getting hit and um you know there are guys that will be critical of say donald brashear because he liked to hug um but, uh, but, you know, in the case of guys like Kelly Chase and Tim Hunter and Bomber, they were just really, uh, you know, really good technically. So not much in this fight. Not many punches thrown. Bomber landed the better ones. But, you know, two warriors here. And, um, you know, again, I give the decision to Bomber, But if you want to call it a draw, that's okay too. And then the final fight of the season, in the regular season, was in Toronto against former guest Brian Curran. Uh, this wasn't much of a fight at all. It was uh, a hug fest, pretty much from the beginning. Uh, and if you remember when when I interviewed uh, the colonel, there was a certain point in time where when he was in Toronto, where he kind of said he just didn't have the enthusiasm. Uh, I, I don't know if I don't remember if it was for the game itself or just for the fighting, but he definitely didn't really seem interested in this one. Uh, Bomber, I think, was trying to get something. He hit somebody on an icing, or you know didn't let up on a nice thing. It's not like he laid someone out, but might've been Rob Ramage, um, or Lou Francis Getty. I don't remember now, but, uh, him and Brian Curran had words that came together and it was just, just basically, um, you know, I just mentioned Donald Brashear with the hugging, uh, just, you know, Curran got a grip on Bomber. Bomber's trying to get free, trying to get his left free. Um, but, uh, Bomber threw one punch, that missed, and the combination of his momentum and current strength uh, brought him down to the ice. The fight was over. Um, They got five minutes for fighting, but that missed punch by Bomber was literally the only punch thrown in the fight. So, um, you know, if they really wanted to, you know, give it to him, they could have given him two minutes each for roughing or four minutes, double minor for roughing, but they did give him fighting penalties, but again, not much of a fight and uh, like i said it didn't seem like kern was really that enthusiastic about it and even when you look at his face after the fight he just kind of makes a face like whatever and um you know like like i said when i when i talked to the colonel uh you know he was going through some stuff and um, you know didn't seem like he said at time with toronto um it wasn't he wasn't really that into it and then he had to reassess some things so uh, luckily he got his enthusiasm back uh but in this fight like i said it really wasn't much of anything so that, uh, that concludes the, the Bombers' regular season. And like I said earlier, the uh, run that the Islanders went on propelled them to a first-round playoff matchup with the hated New York Rangers. And unless you're living under a rock or you're too young, I don't know, everybody knows what happened. So the Rangers won in five games. Uh, Bomber played in four of them. So Bomber stat line, excuse me, four games, no points, 27 penalty minutes. I believe 25 of those were in this uh, game one that we're going to discuss now. Uh, Bomber did lead the team in playoff penalty minutes. So this is game one. And um, earlier in the game. And you've heard me discuss this, and, and I talked about this uh, with Mick. And actually, one of the reasons why I really, I don't know if he's going to be able to do it, but I, I did reach out to Mark Jansen's And one of the reasons why, well, there's several reasons why I want to talk to Mark. First of all, Mark is an unbelievable human being, one of the nicest people I've ever met, uh, really smart guy. I interviewed him uh, back in the day for that website that I had. And, um, you know, really, really... Uh, well spoken. I mean, it's such a stupid thing to say, but uh, but you know, he's a good interview, and uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do do one now. Um, I hope he does. But one of the things is, everybody that I've ever spoken to about this playoff brawl uh, was on the Islander side of it, and Jansen's was part of it from the Rangers' side, and I'd love to get the perspective of someone from the Rangers' side because I honestly don't know what the thought process was, uh, what you know, maybe Roger Nielsen had said or once everything started on the ice, what the Rangers were, were thinking. And I really would hopefully one day be able to get Mark Jansons on the show and and discuss this with him. But earlier in the game, uh, and I guess it depends what, what side you're on, Ranger fans say it was a clean hit. Uh, my eyes tell me differently. Uh, James Patrick uh, got a really high hit on Pat LaFontaine, uh, knocked him out. Uh, his head hit the ice. Not only was the head high, but then when he fell back, his head hit the ice. And, you know, we knocked him out of the game. It was a cheap hit. Um, You know, you hear the horror stories later about the classy Ranger fans shaking the ambulance as it's leaving uh, the garden. like, what what kind of scumbag do you have to be to do something like that? But, uh, you know, it's not entirely surprising, but you heard stories like that. Um, So when you see your biggest gun, and again, it it doesn't have to be Pat LaFontaine. It, It could be anybody uh wearing that islanders uniform uh when you see something like that you have to do something now remember uh what i had discussed in uh earlier in this in this uh piece when bomber was first interviewed the first game he played against the blackhawks when he was doing that in between periods interview with eddie westfall he said we have to protect pat lafontaine at all costs so now what happens is you have uh james patrick cheap shotting pat lafontaine Palafontaine's not cold on the ice. And you know that at some point the Islanders have to get some sort of retribution. They have to right this wrong. Um, And a lot of times it doesn't uh, present itself in that same game. Um, You have to kind of have a long memory. I remember um, in an interview, I think it was on ESPN, Uh, ESPN did a feature on enforcers and i never forget uh, Tony Twist saying, uh, enforcers have memories like elephants, you have to. I think you have to have a long memory to do that job because a lot of times, depending on when shit happens during a game, you don't get the opportunity uh, to exact revenge or to right these wrongs in the same game. So, um, you know, you knew at some point they were gonna have to do something. And fortunately for the Islanders and for us Islander fans, um the game's all about all just about over and the whistle blows and there's two seconds left so what happens al arbor the great al arbor the best coach ever in history you can keep scotty bowman you can keep whoever else you want i'll take my chances with al arbor seven days a week and twice on sunday um al arbor puts out uh kenny baumgartner mick Fakota, gerald diddick gary nyland and brian trottier and it's funny because um as Jigs and eddie were talking about uh who was out there Jigs is kind of going through the lineup and you know you see that gerald diddick is out there he's a defenseman gary Nylands out there he's a defenseman and um you hear him go uh, i guess kenny baumgartner's up on the wing for this one and um you know ed westfall says something like i don't think he's gonna be able to get the length of the ice in two seconds and uh Jiggs says i don't think that's what either coach has in mind i mean how do you not love this stuff right now, keep in mind that, you know, everyone after the aftermath with, uh, you know, Mick, and I'll touch on that in a second, uh, whining about the Big Bad Islanders. But keep in mind, the Rangers countered with Chris Nyland, Chris King, Mark Janssen. Now, those are three legitimate tough guys, okay? Ron Greshner also, I mean, listen, he wasn't known as a fighter, but he's a big dude, and he could throw down if he had to. And, of course, Jeff Bloomberg, who nobody ever heard of before this incident. So... Now you have the drama, you know, you have the drama and now they're lined up and here what happens. Now you have Kenny Baumgartner skating. I'm getting goosebumps. Literally, I'm, if we were on video, you would see the goosebumps on my arms right now. Bomber skating around in a circle waiting for the puck to drop just, and, and again, if you go back and listen, uh, to the interview I did with Mick, he goes into this in pretty good detail and bomber is just skating in a circle, like a shark waiting to attack. And you just, and, and the, um, The clip that I used in my intro is Jiggs McDonald's famous call about Baumgartner is spinning and spinning. Uh, Puck is dropped. He goes right to King and flattens him. I mean, I love that call. And just, you know, I'm watching this game as an Islanders fan, pissed off about the whole thing with LaFontaine, and I see who's out on the ice, and you just see Bomber. And, you know, know, Vakota, everyone else is just, you know, they're standing there waiting for the puck is dropped. They know something's going to happen. And and like you've always ever seen. So you're watching hockey all these years. And even when you know something's going to happen, guys just wait for the face-off like, like everyone else did. And here you got Bomber. And he's just skating around in a circle like a shark. And that is just unbelievable theater as far as something like this goes. And like I said, it led to the uh, the great call by Jiggs McDonald. And of course, like Jiggs said, once the puck dropped, Bomber went right to Chris King and he dropped him. A glove punch. Bomber, Bomber had his gloves on for a good portion of this. Uh, dropped Chris King with a punch, and then everyone, all hell broke loose. So uh, Mick ended up pairing off with Jeff Bloomberg. And, and I'll just touch on this briefly because I think uh, you know Mick and I touched on this in the interview. Uh, Jeff Bloomberg, from what I remember, was a pretty big guy. And so much was blown up in the media afterwards about Jeff Bloomberg being a born-again Christian, and he doesn't fight, and blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, uh, as, as I'll discuss later what Ken Baumgartner said, uh, Roger Neal said last change. If you have a guy on your team that's a pacifist and is not going to fight, everybody in the building knew what was going to happen in those two seconds. Why on earth would Roger Nielsen put Jeff Bloomberg out there? So people want to give Vakota shit for that. Why not give Roger Nielsen shit? And listen, I'm not shitting on Roger Nielsen at all, but... I don't know, you know, people were so busy criticizing Vakoda. I don't know if anyone ever asked Roger what the thought process was in putting out a guy. You see who the Islanders put out, you're, and you put out, like I said, Nyland and Janssen and Chris King and Ron Greshner. Throw someone else out there. If, if Bloomberg was not willing to fight, he should have done his best to maybe go and grab Brian Trottier or something. But, and I don't, and honestly, I don't know if he ever actually had a chance to do it. And I don't know what, you know, how, because then everybody came together. And while everybody was coming together, the camera was focused on Baumgartner. So I don't know how everybody ended up paired up like they did. But I think Roger Nielsen, you know, is really someone that has to be held to the fire while Ranger fans are crying about, oh, Mick Vakota beat up Jeff Blumberg. Well, your coach put out a guy that doesn't want to fight. So, you know, oh, I, People of Vakoda fighting a guy that doesn't want to fight. How the fuck does Vakoda know that Jeff Blumberg doesn't want to fight? Roger Nielsen should have known that, I would think, and yet he still put him out there. So maybe the guy that was held to the fire really should not have been Vakoda. And I'm not shitting on Roger Nielsen. I know Roger Nielsen's smart guy. A uh, lot of innovative ideas. A lot of coaches um, that were worked for Roger are, are, are still coaching to this day. And very successful guy. And Roger Nielsen will... I mean rest in peace roger but in this particular incident um i don't know if he ever had to answer for that why would you put out a guy like jeff blumberg and when you know shit's going down you know but again i know a lot of times when it comes to ranger fans logic goes out the window um but yeah i mean you want to shit on vakoda for beating the shit out of jeff blumberg well why don't you ask your coach while jeff blumberg was out there in that situation but uh so Baumgartner is trying to get a Chris King. Vakota is beating the shit out of Jeff Blomberg. Gary Nyland ends up paired off with Chris Nyland. They're up along the boards. Uh, Brian Trottier is tied up with Mark Jansen, so they were both the centers there. I guess they just tied up with each other. Um, Greshner and Diddick really didn't pair off. I don't know what what was happening there. Maybe they were just kind of on the outskirts, just maybe making sure that I don't want to say that nobody took advantage of another guy because obviously Vakota and Blumberg was one sided and um, you know, uh Greshner didn't jump in. Like I don't know what I don't know what the story was, but everyone paired off except did and Greshner. Um, you know, Nyland and Nyland was kind of a wrestling match. Tradier and Jansen's I mean, listen, that's a mismatch. If, if, if but it, i guess it speaks to the respect that Brian Tradier gets around the league and also the kind of guy that Jansen's was. Trottier would have fought him. I, I mean Jansen's would have, would have done a number on him. I mean, if we're being honest, I, I hold Mark Jansen's in a very high regard, not just for the human he is, but he's just a really tough guy. So that would have been a mismatch too, but they didn't fight. They kind of just tied each other up. Um, and eventually uh, everybody except Baumgartner and Chris King ends up in front of the benches and you get uh, Mark Fitzpatrick and Mike Richter. They're kind of tied up and everybody else. And there's just this big melee in front of the benches and the cameras going back and forth. Uh, between Baumgartner and Chris King still kind of wrestling and the the guys at the benches, then at one point, Ed Westfall mentions that bomber is wailing away at King, but unfortunately, the camera didn't catch that um, so i don't know if that's in fact the case i don 't see why not Bomber was very aggressive and Chris King really didn't seem like he wanted any part of this so I wouldn't doubt if that was the case uh, so while they're going back and forth between bomber and king and and the guys at the bench. Um, you know, eventually bomber kind of wrestles King down, you know, through, I think a, a punch or two that were, that actually was on TV. I don't think anything landed, but he may have landed before the camera went back there. Uh, and then eventually things are cleared up and the cherry on top to the incident. And this is something that, again, uh, I spoke to Mick Vakoda about it. I, I laugh my ass off every time I see it as I'm watch- as if I'm watching it for the first time. So as everyone's broken up and, um, you know, everything's kind of settling down and they're escorting uh, vakoda off the ice. He picks up this kind of like a, a newsies type hat, uh, which I think had a Ranger logo on it. And he just puts the hat on and as he's skating off, um, and you know, Mick was always very popular at Madison Square Garden. Ranger fans loved him. I mean, Mick's one of those guys that all the opposing team's fans loved him to death, especially the Rangers fans. They just absolutely loved him. And uh, as he's skating off with, with the hat on, the Ranger fans are serenading him with the asshole chant, which I'm sure just he got off on that that was I'm laughing so hard at home I'm laughing about it now I'm sure he was laughing um, that was great uh, if you watch the um if you watch the Rangers feed of this, obviously sam and j d are upset at one point uh Rosen loses his shit, calls Vakoda a jerk. uh the two of them are talking about just how mean the islanders are and everything and you know announcers can be hypocritical too. I mean, everybody knows what a fucking asshole Ulf Samuelson is. But if you go back when uh, Ty Domi, and everybody knows I don't really like Ty Domi, I, there's no love loss between, well, I don't say between myself and him. He doesn't know who the fuck I am. But I don't like Ty Domi. And when he suckered Ulf Samuelson, I thought that was one of the greatest things I'd ever seen. And you know who else thought it was a great thing? Earth. Everybody loved that except Ulf Samuelson and maybe his wife and kids. But, you know. On the broadcast, you get uh, Rosen and Davidson saying, Oh, what a terrible thing that was. And, you know, Ulf Samuelson, he's trying to change his game and and he's not, you know, he has a reputation, but blah, blah, blah. Fuck that. Everywhere Ulf Samuelson went, he was a dirty scumbag. And everywhere Ulf Samuelson went, the announcers would defend his bullshit. Okay. So right now you got sam and jd you got sam colin vakoda a jerk you got uh sam and jd just ragging on the islanders and then you get a noted scumbag probably the dirtiest player in the history of the game gets what he deserves from ty domi and the two of them are just whining about it because oh well Samuelson has changed and he's just a solid player now and he doesn't do that stuff anymore you know like i said it's not just Sam and JD, and I I have a lot of respect for JD. I think he's a great analyst. Uh, but it's not just them. Every team he went on, it was always the same shit. You know, the he was a scumbag as a player, and and the announcers would defend him, and those two guys were no different. But um, the Ranger feed of the playoff incident is hysterical because Sam Rosen just flips his wig, and you know, it's just really uh, it, it was it's really fun to listen to. So um, in the aftermath of the incident. Uh, Bomber got five minute penalty for fighting and he got a double game misconduct and uh, after the fact one of the game misconducts was rescinded and he got suspended one game. Uh, Mick got suspended 10 games the team was fined 25 grand and uh, Coach Arbor was fined five grand. So um, you know eventually the Rangers win uh, Rangers win in um, five games and actually in uh, Bomber had uh, had part in one other thing in that in game four, At the Coliseum, uh, Baumgartner checked Chris Nylon. And uh, the result of the check, actually, it was an open ice hit. uh, Bomber actually broke Nylon's arm. And, um, you know, I'm a big Chris Nylon fan. Uh, You know, I've spoken to him in the past over text and things like that. Uh, I have the utmost respect for Chris Nylon. And this is just another example of why. So, uh, they bomber hits Nylon, Nylon's arm breaks, and Nylon plays another period. Like he's playing hockey with a broken arm. He, he, I don't know if it was in the second period and he ended up playing the whole third at the end of the game, or if it was in the first period and he played the second, but guy has a broken arm and he plays a whole period with a broken arm. So, you know, Nyland guy's fucking tough and, and everything else. And I respect Chris, I respect him so much. So this is just another example why a bomber breaks his arm in a game and Nyland plays a whole period with a broken arm. So, uh, so I have a ton of respect for him. That's not surprising. So uh, after the season, uh if you're familiar especially from new york you know who mad dog russo is and i think he does a lot of stuff on mlb network so he's probably national um he's very well known he had a show i believe for one one season on sports channel called mad dog live and uh in a particular episode he had bomber on and he had uh, ken danico on and aside from the um the uh opinions and the the questions i mean you know i don't know if chris wrote his own questions for this. I mean, listen, the Mike and the Mad Dog made millions and millions uh, being on sports radio here, but neither one of them knows dick about hockey. I mean, if we're being honest, um, whenever they had a hockey guest on, they asked. They asked the most basic of questions, and and if it w- if there was ever a real good question, everybody knew that it wasn't coming from those two guys. So I don't know if Mad Dog wrote the qu- uh, questions for uh, Danico and Bomber, but those guys are, are two bright guys. They gave great answers. But one of the best parts about it is uh, this was prime mullets for uh, Bomber and Kenny Danico. Um, you know, I know Kenny Danico. Uh, he he think he shaves his head now but uh at this point in the year in the in, in their lives uh this was prime mullet time for uh danico and bomber so uh so i have it on video i don't know if it's on youtube or not but they both looked really sharp with their mullets and and i could say that because i had a mullet myself and i i was i mean i got andrea with my mullet so what else is there to say i mean she couldn't resist but so those guys are on the show and and they're just talking about you know everything and then uh Obviously, it was going to come up about the thing in the playoffs. So, um, so I transcribed this for you, and uh, I hope you appreciate it because I type slow as shit with two fingers. But Russo asked Bomber if he regretted the playoff brawl against the Rangers. So Bomber said, In retrospect, it's easy to look back and regret it. But when you see your star player convulsing on the ice from a hit, be it clean or dirty, a lot of emotions run through your, head, through your mind. Throughout a season, your teammates become brothers to you. So it's the same as your brother lying on the ice convulsing. Whether there's two seconds or seven seconds left, what transpired? I feel transpired before the end of the game, but they felt that it happened after the game, which brought in rule 53 or 54A. And at this point, Russo, which he did quite a bit, interrupts. And he asks if Bomber was suspended two games. And Bomber continued and said, I received one, Mick received 10. He said in hockey standards, it really wasn't that major of an incident if you compare it to the bench-clearing brawls of the 70s. Hockey's actually become a very clean sport. But I think a lot of things happened with Mr. Ziegler being present at the game. Perhaps it was a little blown out of proportion. I think the rivalry between the two teams, and I think if this happens on the West Coast between Vancouver and LA, you wonder if the the same steps would be taken. But it happened. Russo then asks if they were trying to send the message to the Rangers. Bomber says a message was certainly sent and it was sent by Vakoda and myself. It was not sent by the coach or the management. Al puts us on the ice with no instructions and the Rangers did have last change and they didn't have to put their aggressive players out also. So the stage was set. And that pretty much puts a bow on Ken Baumgartner's 1989-90 season. So just to wrap it up here, um, Bomber played three seasons, I guess parts of three seasons. He had, you know, two-thirds of the season, the 89-90 season. He had two-thirds of the 91-92 season, and he played a full season in 90-91. So uh, over the majority of three seasons he played, uh, played 175 games, one goal, goal against his former teammates, uh, L.A. I think he beat Kelly Rudy. I think it was Rudy or Bertium. I don't remember, but uh, it was a shot, a laser from the point. I remember that. That was awesome. I think it was New Year's Day, actually. Um, One goal, 12 assists, 13 points, uh, 678 penalty minutes, uh, which is 14th all-time in the history of the franchise. So that's not too bad. Uh, You're 14th all-time in penalty minutes uh, in only 175 games, uh, you know, with a team like the Islanders that that has a rich tradition of toughness. Um, He's 10th all-time in fights uh, with 50 and – you know what? What else can I say? If you um, if you were around during Bombers tenure here, um, listen. I know everybody. You know the you say the Bruce brothers, and it's Koser and Probert, um, and actually the original Bruce brothers were actually Dave Brown and Daryl Stanley in Philadelphia, and they may have been the Bruce brothers, been Junior. I'm not sure, but definitely in Philadelphia was the first time I ever heard the term used and uh but you know probert and coaster took it to a new level and nobody ever called bomber and vakota the Bruce brothers here but for islander fans you know and i guess it would be similar to uh you know 2010-11 when you had like trevor gillies and and kanapka here uh anytime you get guys of that caliber on your team that are tough i mean how could you not love that and you know i think part of what made Bomber's tenure here so amazing was the fact that he did it with Vakoda. And it wasn't one riding shotgun for the other, they were a tag team. And they they really, you know, most of the time Bomber was a defenseman, so you had Bomber on defense and you had Vakota at forward. So a lot of times they were on the ice at the same time. And I, I think, like I said, part of uh, what made Bomber's tenure here was the fact that, A, they played a lot together and they they split the job equally. And th- like I said, there was never any, animosity uh by either guy there was never any jealousy there and nobody ever felt pressured they both were comfortable having having themselves share the role and these were just some really good times and um you know i don't know what else to say i I mean i'm really happy that that ken had a great career um obviously i was devastated you know hockey devastation not like when uh, my case was dismissed not real life devastation but in hockey terms I was definitely devastated when he got traded to Toronto, especially for the return. I mean, you know, nothing personal against Claude Loiselle and Daniel Merrois, but holy fuck. I mean, really, that that's crazy. So, um, you know, Daniel Merrois never really developed into the player that I think he I think he had a good rookie year at Toronto, but never really developed into much. And, you know, Claude Loisel is a solid player. He did his role, but you know, I, I mean, really it was it was not a good day for me when, uh, when he got traded, but you know, there was, there were rumors about it anyway. Uh, he wasn't happy, I guess, playing the wing and there's always rumors about, um, you know, since he was a vice president of players association, but, uh, Bill Torrey and, and bomber both said that had nothing to do with it, but who knows, you know, but, uh, when he went to Toronto, that was a sad day. And, um, I'll always, one of my, uh, great memories as an Islander fan and as a Ken Baumgartner fan is when, when he was here. So, um, other than that, folks. Uh, so this is the first installment of the season series. Uh, I hope uh, I hope I did Bombers season justice, and uh, I am open to suggestions. If there's uh, any players uh, that played for the Islanders that uh, had a particular season that you're interested in, I have a couple in mind that I'd like to do. Uh, that I w- well, not that I'd like to do that I will do eventually. Uh, but if there's anyone that that you want me to discuss, I'm more than happy to take suggestions. And um, I really hope you enjoyed this walk down memory lane, uh, 1989-90 season for Kenny the Bomber Baumgartner. And uh, other than that, that's all I have for you today. Enjoy it. Uh, give it a listen. Tell your friends. And have a great week, everybody. Stay safe.